Father, we thank you for this country of ours. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity to worship freely, to serve you, to preach the gospel. Lord, so we could have a democracy and a republic here. Lord, where we will not be shut down, where the voice of the church will not be silenced, where we can stand free. We thank you for those who've gone ahead that have paid the great price for us to have our freedom. And I pray, Lord, for every person today that they will have the courage to pay their price in their day so we can continue in the freedom that we have. Bless every person in the USA. I pray, Lord, for our president. We pray for the Supreme Court. We pray for those in power, in the, in the, in the, um, the people that are the judges and the, and the governors and everybody, Lord, that's making decisions and laws in this country, that they would be led by godly, godly motives, Lord. Help them to make righteous decisions. Father, those that are speaking into the lives, into the ears, that are advisors to the president and to the vice president, oh God, let them speak with godly wisdom and let them see what it means to have a country that's free, that puts God first. And we pray, Father God, and we thank you for this awesome day as we celebrate our freedom in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. All right. You may be seated. So, um, I want to ask you a question to start. <clears throat> what do you think was one of the greatest attributes Jesus had? What do you think were the greatest a- attributes? Love? Absolutely. What else? Obedience. Somebody else? Boldness. Somebody in the back said it. Humble. Humble. Absolutely got to be the most humble man that ever lived. You know, the Bible says that being found uh, in, in the form of a man, that he humbled himself unto death, even to the death of the cross. And because he did that, Father exalted him to his right hand and gave him a name that's above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, in earth, and under the earth, and everyone, every tongue, should confess that Jesus Christ is what? Lord of all. Come and give God praise. Give Jesus praise. Amen. What do you think one of the greatest shortcomings of man is? How about that? I think we can go home, go enjoy our, our barbecue. We're done for the day. Pride and arrogance is the exact opposite, and Jesus came to show us the way to his uh, humility. You know what pride and arrogance is? Can you do something about the sound? I'm just not happy with what I'm hearing. Um, It's what? It's a bit loud. Yeah, it doesn't allow me to scream. I'm a screamer. (laughs) So uh, pride and arrogance actually comes from a desire to be independent of God. It's a desire to do my own thing and not to be told what to do. A proud person believes that they've got it right and they're going to do it their way. Come hell or high water, I'm going to do it my way. They think they're Frank Sinatra. But the sad thing about it is that God resists the proud. 
He raises up the humble and gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And you think this every single proud Christian is actually being resisted by God, not supported and encouraged by him. Just think of this for a moment. Consider this. So, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So we have to, as adults, teenagers, whatever it is, in order to receive input from God, we have to get off our high horse. We have to get off the throne. We have to humble ourselves like a little child and then hear what God has got to say. Otherwise, we can't hear what God's got to say. You see, humility, I believe, is demonstrated by getting off the throne of your life and asking Jesus to get on. That's how we know. And you know what that's called? Repentance. And so my sermon title this morning is The Importance of Repentance. Importance of Repentance. Jesus said that repentance and forgiveness of sin is going to be preached to all nations after his resurrection. Have a look at the scripture found in Luke 24, 46. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance, forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. So the foundation of Christianity is repentance and forgiveness in that order. You can't preach forgiveness until someone has repented. You can't be forgiven for something that you haven't repented for. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. Finish this, finish this off with me. Such a, such a smart crowd here this morning. Every time Jesus healed somebody or forgave their sins, he said, go and... How about that? You sharp bunch. Go and do what? So what was he telling him to do? Change your ways and live a repented life. Was he not? I'm going to heal you now. I'm going to forgive you now, but you can't continue this way. In fact, he said to the guy at the pool of Bethesda, who was paralyzed, lying in his sack on his thing, pick up your bed, go home. And then he says to the guy, later on, because the guy didn't even know who healed him. Later on, he meets this guy, and he says, okay, I'm the one who healed you. He said, yeah, who are you, Lord? And he tells him. And he says to this guy, go and sin no more, lest a worse thing come on you. I'm like, what could this man be doing lying there all those years paralyzed? He was sinning in his mind. And Jesus warned him, said, don't do this. Go and, go and change your way forever. All right? So, to become a Christian then requires a decision that changes the way we think, changes the way we believe, and changes our behavior. Changes the way we think. Our thinking is our soul realm or our mind. The way we believe is our heart or our spirit man. And then the way we act is our body. It's what we do. It's our behavior. 
So in order to be a Christian, there has to be a threefold change made from one decision. This decision that you make changes the way you think, changes the way you believe, and changes the way you act. I want to ask you what that decision is. Anybody? All right, nobody. You'll get it by the end of the service. Don't worry. So write this down. Write this down. All of humanity is captive to the devil until they repent. Every single teenager, that's an easy one. <laughs> Every single person is held captive by the devil until they repent. I, I, I'm sorry if, if, if your relative hasn't repented. But they're being held captive by the devil. And I'm not talking about your mother-in-law. Any relative. Doesn't matter. Listen to the scripture. Paul the Apostle writes to his son-in-law, Timothy, who's pastoring a great church. And he says, Timothy, I know that you're young, and there's people that are coming against you. Um, there's unsafe people that are challenging you. And he says, this is what you need to do, 2 Timothy 2.25. Those who oppose you, uh, speak to them gently. Instruct them in the hope, in the hope that God will grant them repentance. Leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So that's put it into perspective. That's exactly what Paul is telling Timothy the pastor to do. Okay? So I'm doing what Paul told by the Holy Spirit. I'm doing the same thing this morning. So if we look at the sequence then, the first thing he says to him, share the word with them in love so that hopefully they will come to repentance. Hopefully they'll come to repentance. Number one, repentance. Number two, that they'll come to the knowledge of the truth. Repentance. Who is the truth? Jesus. So you'll come to the knowledge of the truth. And then he says, come to their senses. So their thinking will change. They will come to their senses. They're not thinking clearly. Repent. Come to the knowledge of the truth. Change the way they're thinking. They'll come to their senses. And then they will escape. Escape from the trap of the devil. They're being held captive. Have you ever seen a movie or have you ever seen a documentary where an animal is caught in a trap? And your heart goes out to them? Have you ever seen a movie where little Bambi is being eaten by a lion? And you move forward. You can't watch it. Understand something. The devil goes around as a roaring lion looking for a Bambi who you may devour. And you may be that person. You might want to fast forward now. Get that image out of your mind. But I hope the Holy Spirit burns it into your mind. Every person who is not born again, who is not saved, who has never repented, is right now in the mouth of the lion. They mean eaten alive. They might not know it, but the pain they're experiencing 
should have told them by now. And then, understand this, the last party said, not only have they been taken captive by the devil, but to do his will. The unrepented people are the soldiers of the devil. They are literally doing his will. Every person in Congress who's not saved, has not given their life to Jesus, is a puppet of the devil. Don't run out now. I'm not preaching politics. I'm preaching the Bible. This is what the Bible says. Don't go soft on me. So what does repentance look like? What does repentance look like? Repentance is that change of mind. It is a changing your ways. It is going in another direction. It's a completely new course that you take. Your life is altered. Your views are altered. Your behavior is altered. Literally, it's getting off the throne of your life and letting Jesus get on the throne, giving him the authority to rule in your life. That's what it means. Getting out of the way and let God be God. Write this down. It is turning away from sin and turning to God. Turning away from sin and turning to God. So, real repentance, real repentance, biblical repentance is a decision. This is the decision. To turn away from sin. I want to say that again. It is to turn away from sin. It is not to invite Jesus into your sin. It is not to try and secure heaven because you go to church. It is absolutely turning away from your sin and living the way you are living according to the dictates of the flesh in greediness and selfishness and all of those things and turning to God with your whole heart and determining to follow Jesus. In other words, you've got to start looking like Jesus. You've got to start acting, behaving like Jesus. When people find you, come across you for a little while, they've got to say something like, you know, you remind me a little bit about like, T, like Jesus. You know, you kind of remind me of Jesus. Yeah. Then you know you're on the right track. And then don't say, oh, don't say that about me. Go, oh, thank you. Then I'm on the right track. Are, are you willing to do a little self-diagnosis now? I know it's early. <laughs> are you willing to do Okay, so what would it look like, the outworking of repentance, what does this look like, getting, getting off the throne of your heart and giving Jesus the, the throne? What does this change in your heart look like, having, having lived in the world as a sinner and greedy and selfish and doing your own thing, uh, and now you say, I've repented? What would that look like? What would it look like? I'm just going to be as very basic and as natural as I possibly can. Well, you obviously didn't pray before, unless you prayed a Hail Mary prayer, God help me, right? But now, now you would be praying personal prayers on a regular basis. Yeah? Didn't pray, did pray. 
And not only would you be praying personal prayers, you would probably come to the prayer meeting, whether it's the 9.30 prayer meeting or the P3, to be part of the corporate prayer meeting. Because this, oh, I would never, ever go to a prayer meeting. That's what I'm telling you. Now you do. (laughs) See? That's a complete change, wouldn't it be? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So this is self-diagnosis, right? Then uh, what about Bible reading? So I never have time to read the Bible. Today would be a good day to repent. (laughs) So then you'd be doing personal Bible reading. And guess what? Then you'd also come to church to be instructed in the Bible. Because you want to follow Jesus. You want to know what Jesus wants you to do. That would be a change, right? What about uh, personal worship? If you really have a heart of gratitude that God has saved you, then at least sometime in the day, you would stop for a moment and go, you know, Jesus, I just want to thank you. Thank you, God, for giving me Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross. I'm just like, you know, I, I should have been on my way to hell, but thank you. Don't you think you would have been some kind of worship like that? And then, obviously, you'd want to be coming to the corporate worship. And when you come to the corporate worship, you would participate in the corporate worship with your whole heart. Hmm. Participate in the corporate worship in direct proportion to your gratitude. Let me say that again. Participate in the corporate worship with your whole heart, in direct proportion to your gratitude. No gratitude, stand and stare. Are you gone home already? Okay. So now we've got personal prayer, personal Bible study, personal worship. What, what What else do you think would come along with, you know, I've repented, I've changed. What else do you think would come along? Huh? I love it. That's why you sit in the front row. We're going to miss you. (laughs) Generosity. Generosity, the opposite of selfishness. You see, when you were not saved, you never gave to the church. In fact, you probably said, the church is only after my money. The church is never after your money. The church is after your heart. So generosity, tithing, giving to the things of God shows you love. You'll give to what you love. So yes, generosity. Somebody else. What, what, what else do you think would be part of this new life? What do you think? Service. Service. Look at this. We've got all the answers here today. <laughs> Service. Yes. Serving the body of Christ. Looking for ways where you can bless other people by serving. It doesn't matter whether you're in children's church, whether you're with the raw group, or whether you're in the band. Well, that would matter because you may not. Yeah. Anyway, uh, you could be. You could be ushering, you could be in the technical department, you could be, uh, you know, whatever. You could find a way to serve. Couldn't you? Anything else that you could think of? That this is what it would look like? Humility. Humility. Absolutely, of course. Absolutely. And then one biggie, one biggie. Tell people about Jesus. Before you curse Jesus, now you should tell people about Jesus. Absolutely, you should be trying to win the loss. And then your lifestyle should be completely different to the one that you had before, don't you think? Hey, Dr. Chris, taking drugs, alcohol, all that stuff, and your testimony, and you come to Jesus, and what happens? Done. Done with that way of life. Done with it. Turn to Jesus. No more of that stuff. I'm always, always so saddened when I see Christians 
uh, living one foot in the world, one foot in church. You know, they, they, they look like the world and they look like church. They sit on the fence. If you sit on the fence, you're going to get a rash. <laughs> get off the fence. Lay down your life, Jesus said. Lay down your life. Pick up your cross and follow him. That's what it looks like. Amen? So surrender your life at the foot of the cross. Repent. Repent of your sin. Ask God to forgive you. And then make Jesus your Lord. That's what it looks like. There's a couple of stories in the Bible I want to tell you. First one you all know, prodigal son. The prodigal son's a great story. Uh, this young man, uh, the youngest of the two brothers, says to his dad, give me my inheritance. I want to go out and enjoy life. So the dad gives it to him. He goes out and he squanders it. I mean, he parties up, he, woman, wine, and song. I mean, and the rest of the money he wasted. Yeah, that was a joke. didn't go over well. We'll leave it alone. <laughs> if I've got to explain a joke, it doesn't. He got it. Okay, thank you. Thanks. Sit in the front row next week, okay? <laughs> anyway, so then hard times hit the nation. The famine comes. Nobody wants to take. He's out of money. He ends up working for a pig farmer. He's taking care of the pigs. He's starving. He wants to eat the food of the pigs. So he's in big trouble. Now, we pick the story up in the pig pen. All right? In Luke 15, 17, and he came to his senses. Everybody say, he came to his senses. Yes. Say it one more time. He came to his senses. Yes. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? That's the third time you come to your senses during repentance. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned. Hmm. Acknowledgement of the sin. I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy. Say, I'm no longer worthy. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to the father. Everybody say, got up. Say it one more time. He got up and he went. He got up and he went. He got up out of the pig pen that he was in and he went to the father. The decision he made changed his position. He did not stay in the pig pen and repent and pray and stay in the pig pen. He got up out of the pig pen and he went to his father. He went to his father. And the Bible says that when he was a long way off, his father was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. So this young man comes to his senses. He acknowledges that he's a sinner. He says, I'm no longer worthy, which means he humbled himself. And then he gets up and makes a move towards God. I'm going to ask you this morning. Are you coming to your senses? And you only come to your senses when you're willing to acknowledge that you're a sinner. And then, humble yourself. You see, you can't get saved. You can't become a Christian without humility. You can't become a Christian until you recognize you're a sinner. The songs they used to sing, Only Believe, is not true. It's a false religion. Sorry. I know I'm 50 years behind, only, I only believe. But it doesn't matter. I've got a few years to preach it. 
and then get up and move towards God. If you're on this if you're on this path, coming to your senses even today, those even listening to me today, coming to your senses, remember, you're going to have to admit that you're a sinner. You're going to have to humble yourself, and you're going to have to get up and go towards God. Let me give you another story. Zacchaeus, one of my favorite characters. Zacchaeus, I love this little guy. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus was coming to Jericho, and uh, he was passing through, and there was a man called Zacchaeus. He was a wealthy man. He was a tax collector. And the Bible says he was a chief tax, tax collector. And he wanted to see Jesus. So the crowd was too big. He couldn't see. So he ran. The Bible said he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Everybody say ran ahead. Ran ahead. And then say climbed up. Say so one more time. Ran ahead, ran ahead. and climbed up. Ran Why? He wanted to see Jesus. He wanted to see. So there was a burning inside of him. There was a desire in him, even though he was a sinner. There was something in him that said, you need to find Jesus. You need to get to see Jesus. Somehow Jesus is the answer. He didn't even know what the question was. But he knew something wasn't right. And he wanted to see Jesus. And guess what? He didn't allow the crowd to hold him back. So many times we're influenced by the crowd. Well, you know, Pastor Henry, I would respond to the altar call, but I'm a little embarrassed to move out in the crowd. Zacchaeus, I'm talking to you today. Run ahead. Climb up the tree if you need to. In front of everybody. Do what you've got to do to see Jesus. After all, it's Jesus you want to get to, isn't it? Yes. It's Jesus that's going to change your life. So, he gets up the tree. And uh, the Bible said when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to Zacchaeus, Come down. Come down. Immediately. Right now. In front of the whole crowd. Come out the tree. Come down here. You see, when Jesus puts his finger on you, when Jesus begins to call you, he says, come now. Yeah. That's how he called his disciples to become apostles. He didn't say, go away, think about it for three years and come back and see if you still want to be with me. He said, come now. Yeah. Come now. The disciples did not know they had three years. Right. How many years do you know that you have? You may not have three hours. When Jesus says, come now, as he is saying to you today, now means now. Come down now. And what did he do? He came down at once. He responded. Came down at once, and look what he did. He welcomed Jesus gladly. He welcomed him gladly. He came down, the wicked tax collector, came down, responded to Jesus, and welcomed Jesus gladly. Folks, hear me carefully. When you encounter Jesus and he calls you, you only have one response, to come down immediately and to welcome him gladly. And you say, well, I'm not quite ready to make the decision. That is a decision. It's rejection. Well, I'll, I'll come to it later. It's a rejection. Hear me carefully. Yeah. 
It's rejection. When Jesus says, come, you come. Or you're rejecting him. There's no such thing as a no vote. A no vote is a vote. Jesus is calling you today. Will you welcome him into your life? Are you listening to me, Zach? Are you listening? Zach is abbreviation for Zacchaeus. And all the people began to mutter, and they said to him, He's gone to eat with a sinner. And then Zacchaeus stood up in the crowd, and he said, In the crowd, he stood up, and he said, Lord, look here, and now I give, here and now, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. He acknowledges his sin. Publicly, he said, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give it back four times. The Bible says he was a wealthy man, a wealthy man. And what did he do? He gave 50% on the day of his salvation of his entire wealth to the poor. Unlike the rich young ruler whom Jesus called and said, sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me. And he went away sad because he had great possessions. See, great possessions had him. He didn't get born again. He didn't get saved. He never became a follower of Jesus. See, repentance produces changed behavior. He was a taker, and now he became a giver. That's where we got generosity. He was a taker, now he became a giver to the poor. And you know what Jesus said? Today, salvation has come to the house. Today, salvation has come to the house. Jesus acknowledged salvation had come to Zacchaeus after he had repented, not before. He said, come down, I'm going to come to your house. He didn't mention salvation then. But when Zacchaeus stood up and said, this is what I'm going to do, Jesus said, that's repentance. There's a complete change. Now I can say salvation has come to the house. Let me tell you one more story. Simon the sorcerer. We all know Simon the sorcerer's story. This is found in Acts chapter 8. Philip goes down to Samaria and has a great revival down there. People are being healed. Devils are being cast out. They're screaming with great noise. They're coming out. People are being baptized in water. Evil spirits, paralyzed people and cripples are walking. There's great joy in the city. Amazing going on. What a great revival is occurring. In verse 9, now some of the time, at the same time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted. Everybody say boasted. What is that? Pride. Pride. He boasted that he was someone great. And that all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. And they followed him. He had a following, a great following him. Because he had amazed them for a long time with his magic. So he was controlling them with his magic, right? Controlling them. They were following him. But when they believed Philip and the, the the, and he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They, this whole crowd, were baptized. Both men and women. Now watch verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. Right? The sorcerer 
believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles. This is a greater power than he had. Now, nobody in that revival received the Holy Spirit. Nobody was talking in tongues. They were saved, full, baptized in water, but nobody's talking in tongues. So the apostles go down from Jerusalem. Peter and John go down from Jerusalem to the revival in order to lay hands on the people so that they may receive the Holy Spirit. That's why they go down. Okay? So a revival is not a revival until you complete it with the speaking in tongues. According to the Bible, anyway. So they go down to lay hands on the people so that they can receive the Holy Spirit. And then verse 18 says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. So something must have happened for Simon to see the Spirit was given. It wasn't a matter of, okay, you've received, okay, you've received, you've received. Well, what happened? I don't see anything happen. Something happened. They fell on the floor. They shook like a leaf in the tree in a, in a winter storm. They fell down on the floor. They were speaking other tongues. They were acting like drunk people. They were doing something out of the ordinary. Something that was visible every time they laid their hands on. Behavior changed. So he says to them, hey, I'll pay you. Give, give me, give me. He offered them money. And he said, give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. So he is seeking to control the people so that he could lay hands on them and he would be the one who decides and they would have to pay for it. That's how he's making his money, right? Pay for it. He wanted not only control the people, but he wanted to control God's free gift. Mm. So Peter answers, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for you have such a thought in your heart, for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So here is the stunning revelation. Buckle up. Simon believed and was baptized but did not repent of his sin or his old ways, and he was therefore not forgiven. I'm going to say that again. The Bible says he believed. The Bible says he was baptized. But the Apostle Peter says, you have no part of this ministry. You're still captive in sin. Pray that God will forgive you, that you repent, and that God will forgive you. So forgiveness hasn't taken place. You're still captive. Why? Because you still want to control the people. Your behavior has not changed. Your thinking hasn't changed. What you believe in your heart hasn't changed. You still want to control the people. That's what you used to do. Your old behavior hasn't changed. You have not repented. But he believed in Jesus and was even baptized. Suck it up. Take a deep breath. Just because you got baptized in water doesn't mean you're going to heaven. Just because you say, I believe in Jesus, doesn't mean you're going to heaven. The devil believes. He's not going to go. What am I telling you? You can't become a Christian until you repent. Repent. 
Repentance and forgiveness are the foundation stones of Christianity. You can't preach just receive Jesus. You can't preach come down to the altar and receive Jesus without saying come and repent of your sin. Change your life. Give your life to Jesus. Come to the cross. And now you can receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Hello. I think, I think, and I've been part of this problem, that for years and years and years, the church has made salvation a prayer. Salvation is not a prayer. Salvation is a way of life. After you have repented. If there's no transformation, no change in behavior, or a wholehearted desire to serve God out of gratitude and thankfulness for your conversion, then I doubt that true repentance has occurred. See, repentance is a gift from God. Second Peter 3 says this, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but every one to come to repentance. How many does God want to repent? Everyone. But the problem is, even though it's the will of God that none should perish, they are. They are. They are perishing. And yet it's the will of God that they shouldn't repent. The question is why? Why are they perishing? They will not humble themselves. They will not acknowledge they're a sinner. And they will not repent. They want God to give them a ticket to heaven. Give me a ticket to heaven. I'm going to pray, pray, give me a ticket to heaven. I'm not coming to church again. I'm not going to participate in the worship. I'm not going to serve. I'm not going to be generous. Anything is, I just want a ticket to heaven. There's no such thing. There's no free ride. There's no free ride. Write this down. God's will is that all should come to repentance. The alternative is perishing, according to the Scripture. You know, Romans 6.33, you all know the Scripture. It says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. So one day, those who have been living in sin are going to be handed a check. For their wages. And the check is going to say. Death. By fire. For eternity. I trapped you. I deceived you. I made you think it was okay. That the life you were living was okay. And that God was okay with it. Because after all Jesus died and forgave everybody's sins. But you continued to live in sin and now here's your wages one thing is certain on the day we stand before Jesus nobody's going to look me in the face and say Pastor Henry why didn't you tell me and I'm going to say with tears in my eyes I told you with my heart wrenched with pain 
I told you. With all the love and determination and commitment, I told you. I told you whether you were willing to stay in our church or not. Because it's not about numbers. I don't care if there's one person. I want to tell you the truth. And that is the truth. See, God's grace, listen to me. God's mercy absolves us from sin and the punishment of sin. God's grace forgives us, provided we repent of our sin. You see, we deserve the punishment, so God's mercy absolves us from that punishment. God's grace provides forgiveness, provided we repent. No repentance, no forgiveness. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me is not cannot be my disciple. And if he, if any of you does not give up everything he has, he cannot be my disciple. You see, humility is the opposite of thinking you're worthy of heaven. So many people will say this, I'm not a bad person. I'm not like so-and-so and this person. I'm pretty good. That's pride. You won't repent, so you think you're worthy of heaven. Think about it for a moment. I want to tell you one story, and I want to finish. And some of you have heard this story. Some of you haven't. Jackie had a severe stroke. She lost the left hemisphere of her brain. She went blind and mute, couldn't move. Lying in hospitalized, the caretaker in the hospital with the doctors. And I was giving her, in her ear, a rundown of what was going on in her life so she could track with me. Believing all the time that this was going to turn around. But on the second day, the doctors called me aside and they said that the damaged part, the brain, that the portion of the brain that had the stroke in it, is now swelling up and crushing the other half of the brain into the wall of the skull, inner skull wall. And since this, the brain and the whole spine is one solid unit, the liquid has nowhere to go. It can't get out. And she's got two hours to live. She's going to die. She's got two hours. We've done MRIs every six hours. We're monitoring the expansion. We know exactly where how it's going and the rate of expansion, what's going on. We need to do an operation. We need to cut a hole in her skull, take that bone out and make an incision in her stomach, put it inside there to keep it alive. It's probably got four, four days we could keep it there so that the pressure can come out of the brain and the swelling can come out of this hole. Heroic type surgery. Our family was together. We were in a private room and we prayed and we asked God what, what we should do. And we knew Jackie's life and we knew that she would not want to live as a vegetable. You understand? I'm not being derogatory. I'm just saying she didn't want to live, you know, drooling, not able to speak, not know what it is. And this could easily happen with this kind of surgery. So we felt that we should not go ahead with it. And as we told the, the, the neurosurgeon that we're not going to go ahead of it, he was incredibly upset with me. And since I had the durable power of attorney over her medical decision, 
He had nobody else to go to except to Jackie. I did not know that he did this. I was with the, the, the rest of the family. When Hayne came back a few minutes later and he said to me, Mom said you must make the call. I said, excuse me? What do you mean? He said, the doctor and the nurse and I were in the room and the doctor woke Mom up and told her the situation and said, we have got to get your authority and permission to do the operation. Now, she's mute. She can't speak. She's blind. She can't see. And a miracle occurs, and she speaks. And she says, my husband will make the call. And she passes out again completely. Can't speak. Can't speak. Can't see. It was three weeks later before she said one word, which was only, yeah. That's all she could say. So this is a complete miracle that she could actually say this. So Hain tells me what happened. I said, Hain, mom doesn't even use words like that. He said, Dad, I was there. I'm telling you, I was there in the room. This is what happened. Well, all the strength left my body. I fell on the floor. In the room, in the passage of the hospital, I fell on the floor. I feel that same weakness right now. Same weakness. And I'm telling the story. I'm reliving it. And while I'm lying on the floor crying, weeping, because, you see, I knew that Jackie and I had a love relationship. This is... This is 22 years ago, man. Our 49th anniversary was this week. So we had been, we'd been married a long time. 27 years at that time. I knew that we loved each other. But what I didn't know was how much she trusted me. Husband, you make the call whether I live or die. You make the decision put my life in your hands if you think we don't have to do the operation that's fine with me if you think we have to do the operation that's also fine with me but I trust you and while I'm lying on the floor crying Jesus speaks to me in the first person he says to me son that's what it means to have me as your Lord not just your Savior. Where I can make the decisions for you, live or die. Do you trust me enough to make me the Lord of your life, to rule on the throne of your heart? Will you trust me? And then he said, when you make the altar calls in future, would you tell the people, that asking me to be Savior is not enough. Would you tell them, I need to be their Lord? 